are in 1 Corinthians. We've been walking through 1 Corinthians since, uh, I think, September. And uh, we've gone through a lot of the book. We're actually finished in three or four Sundays, so congratulations for enduring. It's been great. Uh, right now we're in a section of the book where Paul is talking about how the Corinthians should view and use their spiritual gifts in church life. And uh, there are some principles in this section that are very uh, universal, but there's also some specifics that are really tough. And so this passage, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, is probably either the most difficult or second most difficult passage uh, in the book. Um, the, pro- the, the passage is about how uh, people with miraculous gifts of the Spirit, such as speaking in tongues or prophecy, should use their gifts in church life. And that's difficult for a number of reasons. Um, I think the first, the first reason it's difficult is because um, this is an issue, uh, how the miraculous gifts function, how the gifts of the Spirit function today is a, uh, just a tough issue to, to figure out. It's kind of like eschatology, like what's going to happen before Jesus returns. Uh, you have a number of Christians who fall in lots of different places on that. Um, but I kind of want to, before we jump into the passage and read it, I want to just lay out uh, the two main places most Christians fall on this issue. And I want to hopefully show you that wherever you land, uh, your position probably has some problems. Uh, that we should be really humble about how we talk about uh, the spiritual gift. So first, uh, in a previous lesson, uh, I argued uh, that the miraculous gifts, not miracles, okay? I want to be clear about that. Miracles, we should pray for miracles. God heals people, he works. But the miraculous <coughs> gifts, so for example, okay? Uh, someone has cancer, we should pray that God would miraculously heal them. That's a different issue then John is our church's gifted healer. He has the gift of healing. So if you, have, if you get sick, you should go to him, he'll lay hands on you, and you'll be healed. You see how those are different? Okay. So um, anyways, but uh, the view, there's a view on the gifts. Uh, the one I talked about three or four Sundays ago was that, for the most part, the miraculous gifts, like speaking in tongues, prophesying, um, and those kind of things, they cease with the apostles. Um, and that gift... Uh, and that, that particular uh, view uh, works really well with how you see history, and it works really well with how you, uh, how you see church life today. The biggest problem the view has is passages in the Bible, uh, like the one we're going to read in just a minute, which says, earnestly desire to prophecy. That's a command in Scripture. You should earnestly desire to have the gift of prophecy. So that view that I, and I'll, I'll just be honest, after reading this passage and studying it, I've kind of, I've kind of adjusted my views, maybe not settled on anything. I'm still trying to process and figure it out. Um, but there are some plain statements in Scripture that make the view that the miraculous gifts have ceased kind of hard to hold on to. So some Christians uh, have uh, I've just said, you know what, I want to obey the Bible. It says right here, earnestly desire that you can prophecy, 1 Corinthians 14.1. Uh, so they've embraced that this still exists. Uh, but then you have the problem of what do you do when someone claims to be a prophet. Now remember, a prophet, okay, is someone who speaks for God. Prophets in the Old Testament, when they spoke God's words, their words came true. So you had, a, you had true prophets and false prophets. True prophets you obeyed, false prophets you killed. That was the Old Testament, okay? Uh, in the New Testament, it continues, okay? Agabus, the prophet in the book of Acts, he predicts a famine, it happens. He predicts that Paul's gonna be in prison, it happens. Prophets spoke true words from God. And so uh, 
the hardest issue about embracing that prophecy still exists is what do you do, what, what do I do, okay, when someone comes up to me tomorrow and says, Leland, I'm a prophet, I have to get the prophecy, I've been practicing it for years, and uh, God has told me that you need to quit your job and move to Santa Monica, California, uh, not for the weather, but for this pastoral job. God wants you there, okay? Uh, the tricky part about that is, uh, well, if this guy is a true prophet and the gift of prophecy still exists, uh, if, I, if I disagree with him, I am disobeying God right? I'm walking outside of his will. Well, how do I discern if he's a true prophet or not? I'm not totally sure. Maybe I talk about it with my friends. Uh, if he's a false prophet, well, we should excommunicate him from the church then, right? Uh, so so do you, y'all see how this is difficult practically? How, how if, if God has allowed extra scriptural revelation to continue past the time where the Bible was completed, that just brings a whole host of issues. So all I have to say, okay, um, all I have to say is wherever you fall on this, uh, your position has problems. And I think that um, we should just uh, embrace that this is a hard issue. I will say uh, a couple things. Um, some Christians who desire to say, okay, prophecy is true speech from God, and the gifts still exist. Uh, this is kind of a funny thing. I, I don't want to make fun of anyone, but I do, I do want you to recognize this, okay? They will... They will say that they're speaking in the gift of prophecy, but what they're doing is they're saying vaguely true, encouraging things to other Christians. I went to a church here in the area, a great church in many ways. They're much more charismatic than we are, and they had a time on a Wednesday night where the church's gifted prophets would come and speak. And they were, they were nothing, nothing, nothing super weird, but one guy said something to the effect of, I don't remember exactly, but he said, uh, to the girl in the blue suede shoes, I want you to know that God loves you and is with you right now. And that's, that's a little strange, okay? But here's the thing, okay? The girl in the blue suede shoes does not need a prophet to tell her that, right? She just needs the Bible to tell her that, right? The Bible says that. So, so uh, and some people have tried to say that uh, speaking kind of vaguely encouraging scriptural truths uh, is prophecy, and that's not it. Anyways, all to say, why have I spent this time talking about does prophecy exist or not? That's because... Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, as we walk through this passage, I'm not going to try to figure out uh, if we should all actually seek to prophecy. There's a principle in here uh, that anyone, wherever you fall on the gifts, can apply. And it's very clear, and it's, it's that you should seek the spiritual gifts that can bless the most people. All right? We're going to see this debate in the passage about prophecy versus tongues and what which you should desire and what's more useful and the whole point of this is that you should desire that your gifts are useful to the church so let's read the scriptures we're in first corinthians 14 we'll read the whole passage it's a little bit long but pay close attention hear god's word first corinthians 14 pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophecy For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophecy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, 
If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with, so with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many languages in the world, none without meaning, but if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he might interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let each one of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only one that is reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in 
order. Let's pray. Father, thank you that uh, you have spoken to us in your word and, um, and that your word is relevant and applicable and good for us. It is, its words are sweeter than honeycomb. And Lord, we just pray this morning that we, we receive the word with meekness, uh, that we seek to learn of you and obey you uh, through this uh, seemingly very difficult passage. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so the, uh, the only real Christmas gift that, my, uh, that Sarah and I got for our two-year-old and five-year-old girls uh, was the movie Frozen. Okay? And before you think that we're like terrible parents, they're at the age when grandma and grandpa give them so much stuff that if we got them Christmas presents, it would just be outrageous. Um, so anyways, all we got them was Frozen. But it's clearly their favorite gift because they just play it on repeat. Like we just, I have seen, in the last 10 days, I've seen the movie Frozen maybe eight times. Um, I have it memorized, okay? Uh, anyways, uh, maybe you haven't seen it, maybe you have. Uh, but the movie tells the story of two sisters. One's name is Elsa. And she has the power to freeze things. She can bring snowpocalypse anywhere she wants to, okay? Um, anyways, but uh, she's really, she's kind of scared of her power. And uh, she, she knows it can hurt other people. She can't really control it. So for most of her young life, she lives as a recluse away from people, trying to keep herself from others. Um, but one night, it gets out that she has these powers, okay? And as one of the most popular Disney songs in history goes, she lets it go, okay? Um, she runs away and uh, gives herself just to doing whatever she pleases with her power, to using it as she sees fit. The song, uh, the song Let It Go says, uh, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. And uh, a part of me really loves this Disney movie at this point uh, because most Disney movies go, Elsa followed her dreams and did what she wanted to and everything worked out great, okay? That's, that's the plot of most Disney movies. But in this particular Disney movie, Elsa does what she wants to and follows her dreams and just, you know, breaks free and it actually ruins uh, her land and country and endangers the lives of other people. There's actually a really great lesson there uh, that's very contrary to everything else Disney has ever put out, okay? Um, but uh, lots of things happen and, it, you know, just go watch the movie, it's fun. Uh, but in the movie, uh, Anna, uh, Elsa's sister, sacrifices her life uh, to save Elsa's. And of course, in a weird Disney movie, of course, she lives too, you know, fine. All right, uh, but, but uh, at the very end of the movie, um, Elsa sees her sister's sacrifice and it dawns on her that the key to using her power well is love. And she, you know, gets it, and all of a sudden, magically, everything turns out nice. Summer comes back. Everything's great. Okay, it's Disney movie, right? Uh, but there is a great point there that is central uh, to 1 Corinthians 13, and that is, if you use what you have in love, if you desire gifts and abilities that help you love, you will be in a safe and wonderful place. You'll be useful. You'll be a blessing. Uh, so that's, that's the first idea in this, in this very complex passage. Uh, Paul encourages the Corinthians they should earnestly desire to prophesy, i.e. speak divinely inspired speech, um, because it is the most loving 
of the gifts. It has the most potential to bless other people. Uh, look at uh, look at uh, chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. This word pursue is the same word that's translated elsewhere, persecute. It gives the picture of maybe a linebacker chasing down a quarterback. Okay, and Paul says that's how you should you should chase down love. You should seek first to love. And how are they to love? Uh, well, in this passage, they're to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And uh, as we have learned again, this is from like a month ago. Okay, but in First Corinthians 12, Paul gives this picture of the spiritual gifts as different parts of a body and how each part is useful and necessary to build the body up. And so desiring the spiritual gifts, um, miraculous gifts here, but there are many other gifts, ministration, teaching, serving, those kind of things. Uh, desiring those gifts for the sake of love is the main idea here. Um, and the gift they should most want is to speak prophetically. And again, prophecy is divinely inspired speech. And we can, just, I want to try to set the cultural context of these words um, why is prophecy loving? Why would it be loving in the New Testament church? Well, if you just think about this, the Corinthians did not have the entire New Testament. They had the Old Testament, and they probably had one or two letters max. All right, so, so imagine, okay, uh, back at that church I was in, okay, I want to tell you, hey, girl in the blue suede shoes, God loves you. Or let's, let's say, let's say Rand gets up here, okay, in a few minutes, he says, all right, guys, I have to get to prophecy, okay, and I want to tell you guys something that's been really in my heart, all right. It is that God loves you so much that he sent his only son to save you. We'd be like, thank you, Rand. I will just read my Bible, okay? <laughs> it's in John 3.16, okay? But here's the thing, here's the thing. The Corinthians did not have John 3.16, all right? They probably did not have John or Luke or Matthew or half of the letters, all right? They had the letters Paul wrote to them and maybe a few other manuscripts. And so actually... Uh, some guy getting up and speaking prophetically in worship and saying, hey guys, God loves us so much that he sent his only son to save us would be a wonderful thing for that congregation. Notice that that's not said explicitly in 1 Corinthians, right? So I, I, think, I think that's why prophecy here is the highest, uh, most desirable gift because it can be used radically in that context uh, to bless the church. Um, so it's, it's better for building up. This is what Paul argues in verses 3 and 4. Uh, in verse 2, the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Again, uh, the gift of tongues as it functioned in the New Testament was a someone speaking in a language they did not know, and their own speech was not intelligible to them. It was a kind of an ecstatic, kind of incredible, I'm just guys imagine, it would be kind of a cool experience, okay? I don't, I've never spoken in tongues. I don't know a lot of people who have, but to speak be so carried along by the spirit that you speak in a language that's not your own, that would probably be kind of a cool experience. And the Corinthians were obsessed with it. We'll get there in a second. Uh, but Paul says here, someone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. And therefore, they just build themselves up. They don't build others up. Prophecy, on the other hand, builds others up. And therefore, it's higher. And we'll see uh, for the next 20 verses, all the way down to verse 25, okay? Paul, uh, Paul demolishes the idea that speaking in tongues would be better than uh, prophesying. 
And uh, the reason for that is simply that the Corinthians obviously were obsessed with speaking in tongues. They, uh, they thought it was the flashiest and the coolest of the gifts, the one that brought the most... No- I mean, just imagine, guys, okay? You, a prophet comes up and he speaks, he tells you God loves you. Okay, that's cool, you know? Uh, and then someone comes up and they speak Hungarian. What, which one is cooler? Probably the guy speaking Hungarian. That's more miraculous. It looks more like a work of the Spirit. So the Corinthians, uh, in their immaturity, in their childishness, as Paul says later, uh, they desired that gift above anything else. And Paul argues a few things. Uh, we'll just briefly go through these. These are, these are real difficult arguments. They're not necessarily central to the passage. But look at, uh, look at verse 6. Okay? If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And he gives an example, uh, verse 7 and 8, uh, of instruments. And I want you to imagine, uh, we have some people in the orchestra in here, okay? I want you to imagine uh, like a 10-year-old just walking up and going <clears throat> on a tuba, okay? That is not helpful. No one knows what's being played there. Uh, one time Sarah told me uh, that my tone and pitch are so bad when I sing that I can sing a song that she knows the lyrics to, but my tone and pitch are so bad she doesn't know what song I'm singing. Like, it's that unrecognizable to her, okay? And uh, the, the, idea, the, the idea of that and of uh, someone speaking in a tongue, okay, to a congregation is like that. Nobody knows what's going on. It's not helping anyone. Um, it's, why, it's why I teach and I don't, I don't sing, uh, at least not for people to hear anyways. Okay, um, the next argument uh, is verse 13. Uh, someone who prays in a tongue should or who, who speaks in tongues should pray that they can interpret. So their addition to the gift of tongues was the gift of interpreting tongues. Um, again, lots of miraculous things going on in Corinth, but Paul says here and later that if you have the gift of tongues, you want to use it in corporate life, someone has to interpret it for you so that the congregation can understand and be built up. Uh, final argument is, in, is from the Old Testament. This is the, this is the hardest section, I think, in the whole, um, the whole book. Uh, but it says in verse 21, in the law... It is written, so this is uh, quoting Isaiah 27:11, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me. Verse 22, thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. So the argument here, all right, is Isaiah 27 is an oracle of judgment against the people of Israel who, because of their apostasy, were basically unbelievers. And so the sign God was going to give them was to invade their land with the Babylonians who spoke a crazy language they couldn't understand. And Paul says, thus, signs are a tongue for unbelievers. In other words, uh, sorry, tongues are a sign for unbelievers, all right? Uh, And they are a sign for unbelievers to astonish them. So an unbeliever walking in this room and hearing us speak in Thai and Bhutanese and whatever, okay, um, that would be a sign, not to save them, but to astonish them. It's, it's almost a judgment. Uh, and that's why Paul says in verse uh, 23, if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are out of your minds? That's exactly what would happen. In contrast, verse 24, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so... Falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Uh, even this argument that prophecy is better than tongues even extends to unbelievers. Um, we need an example. Uh, who here 
finds himself occasionally getting lost in the world of videos on Facebook. You just scroll down and they just automatically start playing for you. Now, I hate that feature. Anyways, okay. Uh, but I want you to think about the kinds of videos that are most popular on Facebook. I'll give you an example of two kinds of videos, okay? Uh, there's this uh, video that I think is sponsored and occurs all, all over my Facebook wall. Uh, you ever heard of PragerU? It's this, uh, and it's, they're, very, they're very conservative, but they, they teach five minute videos on just basic political American principles. And some of it's really good. I, I watched one of the Korean War that blew my mind. Like, I didn't know any of this stuff. It was great, okay? Uh, but, is that cool? No, okay? Uh, you ever heard of Dude Perfect? All right? There's these videos where these guys make like 400 foot jump shots, or they'll do like a bottle flip on top of their head. There's this one that I just can't imagine this. There's a guy sitting at a kitchen table, and he takes a roll of paper towels and just shuffle passes it and it lands perfectly on the vertical paper towel holder you're just like <sighs> okay uh well all this to say uh there is a childish way to think about the christian life and about uh the spiritual gifts particularly that is a very dude perfect way i want my christian life to be cool and flashy and impressive and shiny that's what the, that's what the corinthians were that's what that, that's where they were in their maturity level and this passage this argument, this very detailed and complex and hard, says what you should want is to be someone who can actually instruct and bless others. Um, so let's just try to apply this for a couple minutes. Um, in our context, where we're not quite so positive about how these miraculous gifts function, there is still a principle here, and that is that you should desire that the desire of your heart what you long for would be that God equips you to be a blessing to others. That he gives you gifts that enable you to most bless those around you. That's what, that's what earnestly with your heart long for God to enable you to bless other people. Um, and I think just first there's just a heart issue here. Um, I, think, I think some of us really struggle to have a desire to serve the church. It's really easy to view the church as kind of a place that's self-focused, that I come in, I get fed, I make friends here, I enjoy it. You know, I go to community group every week, but I won't go to the, you know, level in Charleston. Like, to, to, make, to make the church kind of about meeting my needs. That's a very, very prevalent in our generation. And encourage you that, that this, um, this passage convicts our hearts that th those are wrong desires now guys I'm, I'm not saying that we don't come to church to be blessed spiritually we do come to church we do come for more of god for more of him but a, a heart that, that views its relationship with the local church as give me what i need that is a fundamentally wrong way to see the local church you should long that god uses your life to bless you should be full seeking to be full so you can overflow to bless others and I think the only way, uh, the only way you're, you're going to have that fundamental change of desires is, is through the gospel of Christ. You know, the truth that, guys, God sent his son Jesus to purchase your life with his own blood. And in doing so, he bought for you heaven, and he bought for you a new identity, and he's given you the offer right now, whether for the first time or the thousandth time, for personal, over, overflowing satisfaction in relationship to him. The death and the resurrection of Christ mean that for you, that you can have your heart filled and satisfied today. And from that place, 
in that place when God has already taken care of all these things that are so important, my identity, who I am, my personal satisfaction, all those things, from that place, by faith, you can have your desires fundamentally transformed. Instead of being, instead of being like a little vortex where everything in your life is meant to satisfy the, the empty void inside, okay, you, you can be a fountain that overflows. It's available to you today. The gospel makes it available to you. This, this change of desires. I think uh, a, little, a little more specifically, um, you should desire uh, to have, have gifts that enable you to instruct others in the ways of God. Um, just notice, uh, notice here that, that the whole point of prophecy is spiritually instructing and encouraging and building other people up. He's not talking about, hey man, you're a cool dude, I love you. you know? That's not, he's talking about teaching people truths about God that build them up. And uh, if you notice, I, and I want to speak kindly here, okay? But maybe you've been in a community group, okay? And your leader, you're studying the passage of the Bible, and uh, your leader says, what do you think this verse means? And someone speaks, and they're an earnest, genuine believer, but your first thought is, I don't know what the passage means, but I know it does not mean that. <laughs> that ever happened to you guys? You're like, you're like, you're like, that is just, whoa, you know, like, I, wow. Um, that's happened to me a couple times. Anyways, uh, I, think, I think a part of that, uh, there are some basic skills that all Christians should be able to, uh, to seek. But a part of that is also gifting. You guys know that? People who have insight into the scriptures, who are able to understand God's word and teach to others, that is a gift from God. It's not something they work at. There's a part of it that, you know, whatever. You, you sharpen it, you, but, but it's a gift from God. And you, one of the things you should desire chiefly is that God would give you insight into scriptures. That he would, he would enable you to understand them rightly so that you can teach them to others. Whether that's over a cup of coffee at Starbucks with someone you're going to try to build up, or whether it's in a community group context, or whether it's teaching on a Sunday in a Sunday school class, uh, you should long that God gives you insight into the scriptures to give to others. So long for gifts that bless. Use them in love. Um, and the second part of our passage um, tells us that we should use these gifts that we long for in an orderly way. Look at the uh, look at verse 40. This, this is the point. It's the very end, interestingly enough. Uh, all things should be done decently and in order. Um, typically, when I think we think of order, we think of, like, having my house organized, okay? But I think, I think the idea here is uh, under authority. There's an order in the church, an authority that God has ordained, uh, a way things should be done. Um, and Paul walks through them, uh, in verses uh, 26, we kind of see what church life in Corinth looked like. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, lesson, revelation, tongue, interpretation. Uh, just again, in Corinth, okay, they didn't have full-time staff pastors. No one had enough money for that, all right? So the congregation uh, did the work of instruction, which I think is a good model for us. I think, I think we, more people who are not full-time pastors should seek to teach and instruct in the Bible. But uh, everyone came. And they just wanted to do their thing. Uh, look, at, uh, look at the instructions Paul gives, okay? Uh, he says, if anyone, verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, okay, each in turn. So what, what was going on is all the gifted tongue speakers in Corinth would just, like, come up in a big line during public worship, okay? 
and maybe 10 of them or so would each speak in their own tongue to impress the congregation, all right? So just imagine you walk into, you walk into church, okay, uh, in, in a few minutes, okay? And, uh, and Dustin gets the guitar out, and he's like, all right, guys, we got some, some gifted tongue people. They're going to come up. And just over and over again for 20 minutes, all right, people just get up there, and they speak in foreign languages miraculously, all right? Who's been blessed? Okay, nobody, right? You can't understand anything. It's not helpful. That was happening in Corinth. Um, additionally, look at, uh, look at how they practice prophecy. Uh, look at tw- verses 29, 30. Uh, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. Again, they would go from tongues to prophecy, and the prophets would come up. But what would happen is, so Rand would come up and tell us John 3.16, like he did, okay? Uh, but in the middle of Rand talking, Harrison would interrupt him and say, no, that's wrong. All right? I'm a prophet too. All right? God's revealed this to me. And so in, in the congregation, uh, the prophets would argue with each other. Uh, there, was no, there was no sense of uh, order or when someone speaks, we listen and we weigh. And so Paul says, in, in the use of your gifts, in the, in the way you use what you have, you should do them orderly in submission to the authority of the church. Um, one more issue about order. This is going to be very controversial and difficult. I, even reading this passage aloud can be hard. Uh, verses 34 to 30, um, 36 talks about women being silent in the churches. They should be in submission as the law says. Um, and I'll, I'll just say, uh, if, you have, if you have serious issues and you need help thinking through distinctions in gender role, uh, not, um, I don't have enough time for that. This is a big passage, right? I did, I will, I will say, we can do Q&A after the lesson. Also, we, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 11, I taught on that a month and a half ago. The entire passage is about gender roles. So if you're, if you're interested to hear and you have forgotten or weren't here, uh, go online and listen to that. The whole thing's about this kind of uh, equal in their nature and worth, but different in their function uh, in marriage and in the church. But anyways, um, particularly, Paul says, in the order in the church, the women should keep silent in the church. That's very offensive. Uh, what was going on in Corinth, though, most likely, was that uh, the women in the congregation were insisting upon their right to authoritatively teach the entire congregation. All right, Paul's not, Paul's not saying women can't sing during worship or they can't pray in public or any of that kind of stuff. The women in the congregation were either interrupting the people speaking to correct them or they were insisting on their right to publicly teach everyone. And Paul says that is out of the order that God has intended. Now, other places in Scripture, uh, Titus 2 says women should teach other women. Uh, They can and must teach children. Uh, Women should be community group leaders. They should have leadership roles. But the role of publicly and authoritatively teaching the entire congregation, God in his wisdom has said, um, his order in the church will be that. That is a male role. Um, and that could be, again, even saying it like that, uh, trying to say it a little bit nicer than Paul says it, I guess, can be very offensive. Um, and Paul kind of, I think he, he understands this. And in verse 36, he says this, uh, or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones who has reached? He's just reminding the Corinthians that their church has been established by someone other than them, right? The church came from God. He made it up. We, we make up the church, but we don't get to determine how the church is functioned. 
right? God has ordered it, and we should, we should seek to listen and obey what God has ordered. Uh, just an example of that. Um, think about Adam and Eve in the garden, all right? God makes a perfect world. Everything's great. There's no sin. There's no need for Adam and Eve to have commands, right? They're perfect and sinless. But, Adam gives, or, but God gives them one command. Don't eat the fruit of this particular tree, okay? Um, why would God do that? Is he just being mean? Is he just trying to set up failure for them? No, no, guys. The reason there's, there's a command in a perfect garden is because there's no such thing as relating to and knowing your creator without submission and obedience. That's, that's the, that is the primary way we relate to God. Do you guys know that? What do you do with fathers? You submit to fathers. God's our heavenly father. What do you do with kings? You obey kings, right? Now, luckily for us, God's a wonderful father, a good king, okay? But the, but the relationship, the, a ha- the only kind of happy creature is the kind that submits to its creator. And similarly, the only kind of happy church is the kind of church that submits to the order God has intended, even when it seems very contrary to our own experiences or to our cultural preferences or the, the ideas we hear. Um, so that's, that's tough, I understand. We can talk about it more in a minute if you guys want to. Uh, just a couple of application points on this principle of using your gifts under the authority of the local church. Again, it's, it's very tempting, I think, uh, to kind of take your Christian life and do your own thing with it. Um, to kind of be a maverick Christian, if you're gifted and you're passionate, just go do your own thing. It's a very American thing to do. And this passage teaches that the way we practice our Christian lives should be under authority. The way we use our gifts should be submitted to the local church, to the congregation as a whole and its leadership. Um, and I'll just say as a sidebar, uh, if we should use our gifts under the authority of the church, then we should place ourselves under the authority of a local church. I think specifically by joining a local church. Um, a- again, it's very tempting to kind of flirt with the church or to just to use the church, to show up and enjoy it, but not submit to its leadership. And what, guys, one of the one of the best, clearest, easiest ways you can submit to the authority of local church is by joining the church. Um, and you guys might, I've heard lots of objections to this. I even thought this in the past, like, well, I'm already, I'm already involved, I already served, I'm already a community group, why join? Well, joining is the only, really the only public way to say that I am in relationship with this church, that I'm submitting to it, that I'm under its authority. For example, so let's say someone in this room, okay, commits a grave sin, all right, and they start walking in disobedience. If they are a member, all right, there's a process where we can, like, help them, walk with them. There's kind of an, there's an officialness to the relationship that enables us to shepherd them well. But if they're not a member, but we can certainly encourage and exhort and rebuke them. But there's no, they've never come under our authority in the first place. Why? So anyways, all being said, I'm big about church membership, and I know it's not, it's not really a big thing uh, in our generation, but it's, it's if you're going to practice your gifts under authority, you have to be under authority. You have to place yourself under authority. So, uh, ironically, there's a new members class in like two weeks, January 20th. Okay, go online, register today. Uh, also, just another thing: um, if you feel like you have a gift, um, if there's something you're passionate about that God, that you feel like God has really laid on your heart that you want to use, I'd encourage you to figure out a way to submit that to the authority of the church. Get, get some feedback about it. Be open to other people speaking into it. Uh, seek wisdom and leadership from others. All right, so uh, I began this lesson talking about Frozen. 
about some of the icy powers, all right? Uh, appropriate for the Sunday after a snowpocalypse. Um, but uh, now as we close, I want you to think about fire, all right? And uh, fire can be uh, wonderful, especially when it's freaking freezing outside. Okay, fire can be great. Some of you guys had fires on in your apartments or houses uh, this weekend. It was wonderful. It can warm a room up. Um, it's bright. Uh, it's even kind of fun to look at. I noticed when uh, we have when we had you guys over to our house, uh, everyone loves the fire pit. You just get a fire going. It could be 85 degrees outside, okay? And people just love to gather around it, you know? It's just, I don't know what it is, all right? You can roast marshmallows on a fire. Um, for hundreds of years, people cooked over fires. It's incredibly useful when it's in its place. Our fire pit has two feet of bricks on every side to keep it from getting out of its place. Fire that gets out of its place is incredibly destructive and dangerous. A fire gets out of your fireplace in your, in your house, your house might burn down. You might lose everything. The people in California right now where fires have swept through, they do not think fire is a wonderful thing. It's out of its bounds. And I would encourage you uh, to look at your life and particularly your gifts and your abilities like fire. It can be, it can be wonderfully useful. It can bless people. It can warm people's lives up if it's exercised in its proper place. Outside of that, it can be very destructive. So, you, so seek gifts. Ask God, go home today, plead that God would gift you in the scriptures or gift you to bless others, and then use them in uh, the proper place. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for your goodness to us. We, we pray as we just think through this passage that, you'd, uh, that you would just put practical applications on each of our hearts. You'd uh, work. Um, pray that in Jesus' name.